We are continuing in our series in Colossians. So if you're here for the first time, Colossians is this great letter in Scripture written by the Apostle Paul. He was one of the church leaders. He was in prison at the time, and he's writing to this church that he's never met. And what he's doing is he's, he's really sharing about what's most important for them to think about. And so we thought, well, getting towards close to the, the start of Hope Church, let's be diving into that at the same time. So what I titled today is, is what does the gospel mean for our city? What does it mean? What does the good news of Jesus mean for, yes, us individually? What does it mean for our city? And I thought we have to put some jacarandas up there, not taken by, from me, by me, stolen from the internet. Um, but by someone called Alan, I remember the name. So thank you, Alan, who took that great picture. But what does the gospel mean for our city? Uh, we can have a relationship with God personally, but what, what does that mean? It doesn't stop there. What does that mean for everyone else around? We want to see our neighborhoods and cities changed by the good news of Jesus. And we'll, we'll do all that we can to see that happen as Hope Church. We want to train ourselves up. In fact, we've got a training coming in the next few weeks called the Great Commission Guide. How do you and I, if we call ourselves Christ followers here today, how do we actually build friendships with people and lead them on a, a friendship journey towards Christ? It's easy for us to have loads of friendships around, and I'm sure many of us too. And if you're not a Christ follower here and you're exploring faith today, you'll have lots of friendships. But how do we build a friendship that is more than just an earthly one? How do we take each other on a journey closer to God? So we're going to look at those sorts of things. But we're going to dive into Colossians 1, verse 24 to 28. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry at all. Um, it is up there. If you're looking for good Bibles, we've got it at the back. If you don't have money to buy one, uh, we'll just give you one. That's not a problem. It's God's Word. Uh, if you're looking for a good Bible to have on your phone, there's a number of great ones. The ESV Bible app, version has loads of different ones. But we are going to be diving into these four verses here today. So we'll start off with this one, verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. This is Paul talking, and he's talking about the church he's writing to in Colossae, Asia Minor. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. The first thing, the first point I'm going to share is that as Christ followers, there is a purpose in our pain. If you don't believe in God, your pain, there's no one to cry out to and there's no purpose in it. If we're just atoms colliding together, you actually can't complain about pain. There's no one to complain to. You can't analyze pain because who are you going to analyze with? That's just part of the messed up fallen world that we live in. But if you believe in God and if you, if you move towards God, there's an opportunity to explore what that pain could mean. And in our modern world, what Paul says here makes no sense at all. If you can go back to that verse, Cal, that would be great. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. In our modern world, and even to me, that makes no logical sense at all. Why would we celebrate? Why would we rejoice in difficulty and hardship? Why would we be happy about sufferings? And why would Paul be the same? Before we go any further, I want us to go realize that Paul didn't just stub his toe. Uh, he didn't just have people say that he had funny-shaped ears. Funnily enough, no one knows what Paul looked like in Scripture, but it does seem like he was a small man with a big nose. That's actually the only thing said about him. Um, a few writers, Josephus and a few others, that's kind of the picture, the only thing written about his physical appearance. So just imagine this tiny guy with a big nose. Anyway, um, that wasn't his sufferings. He's writing this letter from a prison probably worse than Chikarubi, and he hasn't done anything wrong except believe in Jesus and want to tell people about Jesus. But he's in jail for that. 
And let's look at just a few of the sufferings that he faced that he shared in another letter to other friends in Corinth, a place called Corinth, about some of the things that he went through. And this is from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 to 28. And I think I have that there as well uh, that Kaul put up. Just look at some of these things. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 40 lashes was supposed to kill a person. So they would give you 39, but I mean, you're pretty much left for dead. And it was the lashings with bits of bone and things uh, on. I mean, it was what Jesus experienced before he went to the cross. He received that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Guys picked up rocks and tried to kill me. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles. Um, Gentiles is effectively anyone who isn't Jewish. And at that time, it was predominantly Greeks and in those sorts of areas, and they weren't open to uh, many others. At the time, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. He goes on, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, um, that's what moms experience, you have young babies, uh, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's also the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of you guys, the churches. That is the kind of suffering that he was going through. When he talks about rejoicing in his difficulties, that's the level of hardship that he was facing for following Jesus. Now, that's a serious level of suffering coming from many different angles. And you see it there, his sufferings, persecution, physical difficulties. So he was being taken out for the gospel. He was experiencing physical trials and difficulties, hunger, thirst, circumstances out of his control, being shipwrecked. He's facing many different trials there and ailments. So circumstances of nature, circumstances that are physical. So our sufferings in this fallen age can include a massive variety of afflictions and trials. All of those things are at work. You might say, but wait a minute. That's not what I've watched on TV when it comes to faith. That's not what I've heard the Christian faith is like. I heard it was much more like come to Jesus and he just sorts out everything. He just blesses you with everything you want. He just gives you a great life and everything goes well for you. Maybe a little bit like this. You know, I got my little camp chair here. This is the kind of Christian life that I would like. I can't be at the beach right now, but that's what I would be if I could. And so I'm at the beach, I've been living large and I've got my retirement fund sorted out and I've got my 7-Up which is a great drink by the way, better than, better than Sprite. And I'm just reading the Bible and I'm just hanging out with God. And it's just brilliant. And that's what the Christian life is like. Thank you. You can stop surfing in the USA. Thank you, Carl. What a good thing. Now, why do I put it there? It's because, yes, that's not exactly what we think the Christian life is. But there are many who teach and it's easy for us to think and go because God is good and he is a great God and he provides for us and he blesses us. And um, the abundance of what he does is amazing. I mean, I just think even sharing of Hope Church and someone gave us, we've got a brand new sound desk there that again was just given to us. Amazing. And we've been able to give out to many different areas and, and things in need. And, and personally, we've seen God's provision. But we can kind of have this picture 
that God is kind of like the final box that's ticked. When we're following him, everything goes great in life. It goes brilliant. We're sorted. We don't face tough circumstances. We don't face difficulty. We don't go through sickness. We don't go through persecution. But actually, not, that's not the case at all. That's not what scripture teaches. And in fact, Jesus, God in the flesh, was really clear on what life is like if you and I decide to follow Jesus. I've got some passages that he said. Matthew 5, verse 11 to 12. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed, another word for that is happy. Jesus is saying you should be happy if that happens to you actually. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were there before you. We'll get back to the reward is great in heaven. Uh, He also said, John 16 verse uh, 33. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There's eternal life at hand. Tribulation is a word that means affliction, trouble, difficulty. In fact, the actual meaning of it is about two, um, if you really break down the meaning, it's two surfaces being rubbed together, two forces coming into contact together. So it means sort of pressure exerted by circumstance. So that's the normal Christian life. That's what Jesus promised. That's what all of his people, Paul included, expected it to be like. That's why Paul rejoiced in it. That is normal Christian life. So Paul's saying, I am a following on from Christ. I'm truly imitating Christ and living the life of a Christ follower. And you might say, well, that's fine, Paul. Jesus did say that. That's how you're living. But how can I rejoice? How can I be happy? What are you talking about? How can I rejoice in difficult times in my life? And how could he say that? It's because it's all about the perspective you and I have when it comes to our difficulties. It's about perspective. It really does change everything. Paul realized that his suffering could have a supernatural gospel purpose on earth and reward in heaven. His suffering wasn't in vain if God's involved in the world. If God doesn't exist, your suffering has zero purpose. It's absolutely in vain. If God does exist, and what Jesus says is true, then our difficulties and trials on earth can have, if we have the right perspective, can have the most wonderful gospel purpose on earth and reward for all eternity. And so for Paul, this suffering was cause for rejoicing in an eternal sense. He wasn't happy to be going through those difficulties. Of course he wasn't. It would have been terrible. Being in prison, he would have hated. Being beaten like that would have been excruciatingly painful. He's not talking about, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. I just can't wait to get lashed again. No, no. His rejoicing is this deep-seated joy about what it was producing in gospel advance and the reward that was to come for him for all eternity. He could rejoice in the impact it would cause in other people's lives. Paul knew that if any part of his suffering and the way he handled it could point people to Jesus and see them saved for all eternity, it would be worth it. That's what he could see. He could see in an eternal scale that if any of his difficulty and the way he went through it had an opportunity for someone to be saved from hell for all eternity, it was worth it and it was still a cause for rejoicing. So the challenge for you and I, and there's been amazing words about difficulty and people going through difficulty today. I don't pretend to know what you're going through right now. I don't pretend to know what you have been through. And the trials that you have faced and the difficulties, probably for some of you beyond comparison, beyond us even thinking about. But one thing I know is that if we allow God, the things that we may feel have destroyed us or things that we may count as failures in our lives or things that we have questions about, things that we don't understand. One thing I know is that he can 
turn those things and use those things to point people to Jesus and be saved for all eternity. That's the goodness of God in action, and that's what Paul believed. You see, suffering is something that's universal, right? We can't escape it. We're all going to face it at some level or not, maybe some harder, some not. But we're all going to face it to varying, varying degrees, and that means that it's something that everyone can identify with, whether they believe in Jesus or not. If you're here and you're exploring faith, you're not a Christ follower yet, you can identify with difficult times. You've been through them. If you know God here today, you can identify you've been through them. But not everyone knows how to walk through suffering. Not everyone is able to walk with God through those difficulties. And I don't pretend to know how to do that. But one thing I do know is that we serve a God who walks closely and tenderly with each of us through the hardest hours and the most terrible moments of pain. And I know that he can bring supernatural help and unexplainable comfort that leads to a beautiful eternal impact. And as we said earlier, as Nick came and said, if you want prayer into any of those areas, if you're just feeling I'm absolutely smothered and there's just no hope and I, I don't know how to go through this, please, we'd love to pray for you afterwards. We would love to, to, to really pray and trust God together. Let's move on. Uh, we'll go to the next one. People to be reached. So there's purpose in our pain if we allow there to be. There is people to be reached. One of the things I wanted to uh, highlight is when it says over here, Paul said, you'll notice an interesting phrase um, that we read. It says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. You might say, what do you mean? What's lacking in what God went through? Why is Paul trying to say that I kind of am doing more to add to God? It's not what he's meaning. I'll give a, a, a brief thing just so that we know and we're clear on what Jesus came to do. Jesus achieved everything for you and I on the cross. He achieved everything needed for you and I. We can be saved from our sin for all eternity. We can have a relationship with him now and forever. We look forward to a life of perfection as Christ follows. So Jesus is enough. That's not what Paul is saying. Jesus is absolutely enough for you and I. And Paul affirms that through all of his writings. So what does he mean? He means continuing in the way of Christ. Paul means that I'm following Jesus and so in a sense, Jesus suffered and his gospel is continuing to, to go throughout the earth. And so in a sense, I'm continuing in the afflictions that Jesus faced. So I just wanted to be clear on that. And again, why is Paul prepared to do it? He says it over here, right at the start. It is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul was prepared to go through the most horrendous difficulty just for God's body, the church. That's us. That's you and I. Now, we might not get put in prison for following Jesus and being a church. We might not get beaten for it. We might in other countries as part of why we want to support open doors. Why is a church we're supporting people working into the per persecuted church? But giving our lives for the local church is not an easy thing. It's not plain sailing. I mean, I know here everyone's perfect and uh, it's just great. We have no issues with each other and we, you know, it's just the perfect church. We know it isn't. It's not plain sailing. It's putting the needs of others before ourselves. It's creating space for people to meet Jesus. It's about being outward looking. It's about having people in our homes we wouldn't usually have in our homes. It's about meeting people before and after church on a Sunday. It's about being prepared to be uncomfortable. There's a cost in following God's church and being part of his church in our time, in our resources. But as Paul said, it's absolutely worth it for the one who gave up everything for you and I. And if you're sitting here and you're going, I, I just... I kind of don't really know what to do. I don't really know how to feel part of this church. There's just so much opportunity. 
Come and chat to us afterwards. It's worth giving your life for God's church. So people to be reached. This follows on from it. Verse 25. Uh, he says, so of God's church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. When you and I come to Christ, he doesn't just save us for our own sake. We don't become Christ followers for the benefit that it brings to us. And it does. But it's for more than that. It's for others. God doesn't just come and just say, hey, I've died for you. And, and we leave it there and just live this great, comfortable life. No, it's for the sake of other people. As Christ followers, we have a responsibility, as Paul said there, to steward that gift of grace, the free gift of grace, well, getting what we don't deserve. You and I don't deserve what Jesus did on the cross. And God set it up that we are part of his plan for the world, you and I. We're his plan. There isn't a plan B. You and I are his plan to bring about his kingdom on earth. He works through us, but it involves you and I. If you put your hand up and say, I follow Jesus. We've got a God-given responsibility to share our faith with others. And that's such a privilege. So the question is for you and I, if you'd call yourself a Christ follower here today, how are you doing on people knowing that you're a Christ follower? How are you doing on sharing what God's done in your heart? How are you doing at living the lifestyle that God's called you to? And this will be an inward test. I need to do this all the time as well. Here's a few quick things to remember. Sharing your faith and mine starts with a friendship. There used to be a phrase called Bible bashing. Some of you might know it, but it was basically people who would go around and without even knowing you or caring about you, they would just in a sense, beat you with scripture. Be like, you've got to turn to Jesus, son. You know, those sorts of things. It's not how Jesus did it. He loved people. He had people in his home. He spent time with people. He built a friendship. And then over time, a door opened. So it starts with friendship, building a relationship, meeting for coffee, having someone in your home. Maybe that's new to you. Maybe it's different to you. Start. You don't have to open up your Bible, you know, on the first time that you uh, have meet a stranger. Just actually build friendships with people. But it doesn't stop there. It moves to asking the Lord for the right time and open moments in conversation to move into a spiritual conversation. I think that's probably what people find hardest. Um, we all have connections with people who know God and who don't know God. But how does it move from there? It moves from relying on God and saying, Lord Jesus, would you just give me an open conversation with someone? That might be as much as uh, when I play touch rugby on Tuesdays uh, with people or you're meeting friends at work on Monday or Tuesday. And it might be as little as saying, hey, what did you do on the weekend? What did you get up to? Oh, well, I had a bride here and I did this. And oh, yeah, I, went, I went to Hope Church on Sunday. Oh, that's interesting. Didn't know you went to church. Well, uh, if they say that, you know, you need to see what is it because my lifestyle looks so much like them that they're asking those questions. Or is it just you've never chatted about it? Yeah, I do. Why, why don't you visit sometime? Might say, oh. Church isn't for me. It's just not something I do. It's all right. No problem. Anytime you want to come, come along, come and visit. Might, you know, might be on something different. Might be someone going through a difficult time and just saying, hey, this might be strange for you, but would it be okay if I prayed? Could I pray for you? You know, in Zimbabwe, there's very few people who will say no to prayer. Europe, Canada, many more people will say, no, I don't, I don't want you to pray. We still live in a nation where there's still an openness to faith. You've got such an opportunity to just step out, love somebody, pray for them. So I'm just giving, we'll, we'll do more of a training on this, but uh, I'm giving more hints. To, maybe you're here for the first time and you're sitting going, that's exactly why they had me for coffee and invited me to church. I promise no one knew that I was going to say this. No one knew that I was going to talk about this today. But then I'm grateful. Do you know, honestly, if you're here and someone's invited you or told you about, about coming, I would honestly turn to them after the service and 
Thank you. That's the reason, because you care so much for me that you wanted me to experience this that you're part of. Awesome. That's, that, that's how I would see it if I was you. That's true friendship in action. It could be sharing what God's done in your life. This week, you could even spend some time thinking about what you would say if someone says to you, hey, tell me, why do you believe in Jesus? Some of you kind of think that we should be able to answer in a minute or two, but maybe you can't. Maybe you're not able to do that. Spend some time, write it down. How would I answer it? If someone said, hey, you, you said that you're a Christian and you're stuck in the church. Why? Tell me why. Will usually involve something that God's done in your life personally. You might not know everything, but it's a testimony. It's a story of how God's changed your heart. And no one can discount your testimony. No one can discount something that you say God has changed in your heart. And so it may be that. Think through that. We need to live a lifestyle that looks like Jesus. If we say that we follow Jesus, but we live opposite, we become something called a hypocrite, and everyone can see right through that. And so there's no point in us. In fact, it's damaging to the Christian faith if we say, hey, I follow Jesus, but our weekend lifestyle looks nothing like Christ. It's actually damaging. It's actually dangerous because then people look in and go, but obviously your God's not actually that powerful. He obviously doesn't really change you because you live the same as everyone else. So when you think about our lifestyle, we always need to be doing, how do, what's my speech like? What's my speech like with my employees? Would my employees look in and say, there's something different about that boss? Most definitely. It's difficult questions that I'm getting us to think through, but we need to think about our lifestyle. There's so many more thoughts in this area, and I love it, and as Hope Church, we want to be this place for faith explorers and Christ followers alike, and, and that's our heart. That's, that's, that's what pumps through our veins, is just going, Jesus is the only one who brings true hope, and we're here to share it. So we'll do more sort of training and thoughts on that, but I hope that's helpful for you. And then it says there, to make it fully known. I want to be a steward from God to make the word of God fully known, to do all that we can for others to see the truth of the gospel. It's why we want Sunday services to be as credible as they can be. It's why we're launching more connect groups all the time. And it's so exciting. More people saying, can we be part of one? And we're sending them far and wide and we've got connect group leaders. So I have no idea who this person is, but they're coming and we've got eight people coming to us. Why do we want to connect? Because we want to grow in our faith together, explore faith together. You don't have to be a Christ follower to come to a connect group. Sign up. Say, I'd love to be part of a community. Sign up and we'd love to help you in that. Hope cares. Why are we promoting this? Because we want to demonstrate the hope that Jesus brings. Kids events and kids camp. Why? Because we want, to, we want children to get to know Jesus at a young age and live sold out for him. Generosity. We're blown away. I had a person send to me a message yesterday. They don't even come to this church. And they said, listen, what God's doing is just on our heart. Is there anything that you need? What do you need us to buy? What do you need us to do? And I honestly had to say, listen, actually nothing right now. Um, we honestly are so overwhelmed by God's generosity. It's amazing. It means that we can just give more. It means we can invest in the kingdom more. So I said, sure, give what God puts on your heart. But as far as something big, we'll let you know. But it's just exciting to, to give out of what God's given us already. There's always room for more people in the kingdom of God. It's stretching, it's challenging, but it's beautiful. I met with a person who's just been visiting church last week, uh, someone who's exploring, should I join Hope Church? And I said, well, what's it been like? What's the experience been like? He says, well, actually, it's been amazing. I've had diff we've met different people on the last three Sundays that we've never been before. We've got their contacts. We're already in connection. And so I was like, yes, that's what church is about. That's what it's about. It's about us looking outwardly, people that we don't know, building friendships, having people in our home. We just want God's help to bring hope to the world. Last point, the promise of eternity. So we looked at there's, there's purpose in our pain. 
We looked at there's people to be reached and there's promise of eternity. Verse 26 and 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, you and I if we aren't Jewish, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of my favorite little passages of all time. This isn't talking about it being difficult to find out who God is, this mystery. But God's unveiling his plan to the world. And people before Christ were looking towards the Savior who would one day come. They spoke these prophetic words. God spoke to people through their spirits and they wrote out letters and poems. Exact things about where Jesus would be born. How many uh, coins he would be sold for. Exactly how he would die before crucifixion was even invented. We could do a whole sermon series on this. About the prophecies that have come to pass that have not happened to anyone else at all. And so this was looking ahead to Christ. And then Christ came. Now we live in the time that Christ has come. But he's, his kingdom's here but it's not fully here. So we're going to see his kingdom break out. We're going to see people healed. We're going to see God do stuff but not fully. All of us are going to die. Unless Jesus comes back, which I pray for every day, that he comes back, but I'd love to see it. You know, I'd love to be one of the ones to brag in heaven. Be like, yeah, we were the ones. Us group on earth at that specific time were the ones who saw it. But it's unlikely. You know, who, who, who's to know? It's unlikely. But that's what we pray for. This plan's unfolding, and a pivotal part was the arrival of Jesus. And so he's saying this mystery, this plan, we're seeing it more and more. We can look back and see what happened. We can look ahead to what is to come. We have the privilege of embracing and sharing that. Not in our own strength, though. This is what he comes to here, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you're a Christ follower, have you sat thinking what it means to have the Spirit of God within you? To have the Holy Spirit within you. To be able to talk to the living God. To be able to hear his voice. To be able to live for him. To know that there's an eternal home prepared for you. It's astounding. He's strengthening you. He's giving you the words to speak. And on top of that, our eternal destiny changes. It says there, Christ is in us, then we have the hope, the expectation of glory. The joy and expectation of life with Jesus in a perfect kingdom forever. Think about what heaven's going to be like. I hate dentists. No dentists. If you're a dentist here today, you won't have a job. Um, going to doctors, don't like that either. No doctor's jobs in heaven. Um, injuries, our body's getting frail. Relational difficulties, zero. Relational strife, zero. Difficulty in the workplace, frustrations, not as productive and, and profitable as you would like it to be. Perfect profitability in heaven. Just think about life on earth. Amazing food. No gem squash and Brussels sprouts. Well, redeemed gem, spross, gem, gem, gem squash. I actually really like it now. You know, I used to hate uh, gem squash growing up. Until um, Sarah showed me that if you like hollow it out and then you mix it with cheese and like tomato and onion and bacon sometimes and things like that, it becomes something beautiful. Um, and so it's redeemed because my mom, we sometimes used to get margarine in it and it just wasn't quite um, what it could be, you know. But the point is in heaven, you won't have to do anything to a gem squash. You make it amazing. It's going to be amazing anyway. So I, I just think, think of heaven, dream of heaven. We're going to be there forever. This is so short on earth. We're going to be there forever. It's what we have to look forward to. Not floating on clouds and shooting love arrows at each other like those little half-naked babies. Oh, it's just weird. How did guys ever get a picture of heaven like that? No, it's real life, but it's perfect life. We'll do stuff. We'll walk. We won't float on the clouds. You know, We're going to perfect uh, life. 
Why would Paul go through such difficulties for the gospel? Why would the Colossian church, why would you and I? Why are we prepared to do it? Because of the hope of glory. Because of what's to come. It says in Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus go through the cross? Because of the joy set before him. Eternity. Eternity. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25. Paul, whether he was an athlete with his big nose or not, we're not sure, but he loved, he loved athletics. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25. He used lots of stories. The Greek world had plenty of that. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a medal that means nothing in 20 years' time, a record that gets broken. But we do it for an imperishable reward. If we follow Jesus and put him first, what we're storing up, we're delaying gratification to where it really matters for all eternity. So we're doing as Christ follows. We're putting forward, we're, we're delaying reward until later. When you're struggling in your faith, the eternal perspective changes everything. Uplife, one of the nonprofits that C and I lead, I think I've got a picture up here, which I just love. One of my favorite verses of all time, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, this kingdom here, but what's unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what's unseen is eternal. That funny line and, and, uh, and earth. We can so easily think that our time on earth is a long time, particularly if we're young. I used to watch as a 15, 16 year old, I used to watch these rugby players who were still playing at like 33 and 34 and just go, those guys are ancient. They shouldn't be on the field, they're so old. Um, and now they're all younger than me. Um, and uh, you realize that life goes on. My life will end on earth. I don't know when it's gonna be. But that line that just keeps going off the screen is eternity that's forever. That's where our focus needs to be, on the hope of glory. Verse 28, final verse, we'll pray. Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's who we share about Jesus. Not about fancy words or stylish music. We wanna be great. We wanna be excellent in everything that we do. But who changes people's lives? Jesus. Not fancy buildings and not great music. Those are all extra elements to point people to Christ. But Jesus is the only one who changes. It's why you can say God bless. It's why people who know Jesus and don't know Jesus say God bless. You can say, you know, may God be with you. But when you say Jesus or Jesus Christ, there's power in his name. God said he's given him the name that's above every name, his son, the name is above every name. So don't stop saying Jesus. Don't stop saying Jesus Christ. Don't take Christ out of Christmas. Never shorten it to Xmas. It's Christmas. Coming up to, we're coming up to Christmas, it's Christmas. There's power in the name of Jesus. Why do we need to warn people? Why does it say they're warning everyone? Because life is short and eternity is forever. Without Jesus, we're destined for an eternity absent from God, which is an eternity absent from goodness, which is somewhere that nobody wants to go and nobody has to go to. The best and most important thing you can do as a Christ follower is lovingly and honestly share with your friends and your family and business colleagues the truth of the gospel. Jesus loved us enough to pay the price for our sin, receive what he did, share what he did, I so want us to have the same desperate passion for people to come to faith as Paul did. I want that to course through our veins. I want that to be why we come on Sundays, why we do connect groups, why we serve, why? So that people might see Jesus and be changed. 
and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That comes from Jesus. He gives us the words to say, the method to get his message across one-on-one and collectively. And why do we do this? This is at the end, we'll pray. So we may present everyone mature in Christ. We want everyone at Hope Church and beyond to live upright, God-honoring lives. We wanna lead healthy marriages. We wanna be great parents. We wanna be brilliant business leaders. We wanna be a church that looks like Christ. And as we grow in maturity, we have a greater impact. We become more like Jesus. We shine brighter. People look in more and say, I want what you have. And so we wanna be on a journey of maturity all the time. But we need God's transforming power for that, which is what I'll pray for now. Should we stand? can raise your hands or put your hands out in front of you or close your eyes or keep your eyes open. You can do what you want to say, God, would you speak to me right now? To say, Holy Spirit, I recognize that you're here. We've been looking at your word. And what would you say to me right now? And there'll be a few things. He might be challenging you or just encouraging you that your difficulty that you've been through or that you're going through, the way that you go through it, he can use it for an eternal purpose that you can't comprehend. And maybe you've been going through a trial and you've been going, I I just have to get out of this. I I wanna get out of it now. And, And God will bring you through that trial. He'll take you out of it. He doesn't love you being in a trial. He doesn't like any of us being in difficult times. But in the short time we have on earth, when eternity lies before, in the brokenness of this world, our pain can be used by, uh, for a great eternal purpose if we allow it. So it might be you, and it might just be saying, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. Take me out of this. Just some of the words that came. Take me from this. Pull me out from my difficult situation. And as you pull me out, would you use my difficulty to point people to you? so that they could be changed for all eternity and saved for all eternity. Imagine someone walking up to you in heaven one day and saying, do you know what? The reason I'm here is because I saw how you went through that difficult situation and I just knew that there had to be something else at work in your life. And so I started exploring and I gave my life to Jesus because I realized you love Jesus. And now I'm in heaven just because of how you went through your trial. Wow. So if you're in a painful situation, Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would bring comfort. I pray you'd bring support. I pray that you would pull out of that difficult situation. I pray you would heal where healing needs to be done. You would restore relationship where that needs to be done. Why? So that people might come to faith. Maybe for some of you, your difficulty is more in, it's just a safe, comfortable Christian life and I would rather not step out. I'd rather, rather not Move out of my comfort zone. Try something new. Lord Jesus, would you challenge us? We don't do anything in our own strength. You're the one who does it through us. But if, if we're living a little bit safe and secure in our faith, pray that you'd ruffle our feathers. Pray that you would call us and draw us and push us and kick us in the butt if we need it <laughs> to start getting out of our comfort zone and reaching out to people who don't know you. And finally, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be people dead set on eternity, that our eyes would be on the unseen kingdom and that would fuel everything that we do on earth, that our eyes would be on eternity and that would affect how we raise our kids. It would affect how we do business and what we do with our finances.
It would affect the friendships we have, the lifestyles that we lead. It would affect every area of our lives. Why? Because that kingdom is forever. But everything we do on earth has an eternal effect. And so would, would what we do, our decisions, where we go, what we don't do, why? For the sake of eternity, reward, and people coming to faith. And so you're so good, God. You come alongside us like an older brother, a heavenly father, and you just nudge us. God doesn't condemn. He'll never condemn you. He'll never say you're not good enough. He'll never say you're pathetic. He'll never say you messed up and there's no hope. He'll come alongside and he'll say, hey, there's this issue in your life. Let's deal with it together. I've got more for you. There's more. There's so much more. And we can't wait to see it unfold in your life. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for leading us. Thank you that this church is your church. Thank you that we have a privilege of stewarding the gift of grace so that many might come to faith. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.